This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. It's one out. Pete Alonso, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. What is happening, everybody? Yes, this is A's Cast Live, a Monday edition after a long and I mean long, a spring training game. Hope everybody is doing well. We're going to have Mitch Moreland coming up here at 445 while he's fishing. This is an A's cast live first. Mitch Moreland, commander. Good afternoon. Well, I'd be remiss to tell you, first of all, happy birthday. Thank you very much. But yes, you're right. First, we never had someone go fishing before while we we're on the air, but this is uh this is a first, and I'm glad we we're able to you know be a part of something has so historic that's never happened before. Oh yeah, oh yeah, never in the history of Ace Cast Live has there been a guy on the bank trying to get a catch, trying to get a bite while doing Ace Cast Live. And by the way, if you don't know his numbers against the A's, oh, oh, oh my God. 22 career home runs, 15 at the Coliseum. Those 22 home runs are the most he's hit against any club. Uh, he likes hitting at the Collie. Our man, Bit Roberts, is going to be here at 5 o'clock. Grant Paulson will be here at 5. Wait, are these not, are these, you, you've changed everything, right? Yeah, well, so so Bip will still be 5. Everything Everything's changed where I moved our Nationals guy back to 530. So he's that's these are all real time now. So Grant Paulson will be here at 5.30, covers the Nationals. John Shea, love John Shea, our, really our only national columnist for Major League Baseball from the San Francisco Chronicle will be here at 6. And Anthony Castrovince from MLB will be here at 6.30. You want to go to Moreland like almost right now? Well, I, t- I told people, because we were supposed to have him at 4.10 immediately as the show started if we were on schedule at 4. So I don't want to tease the fans too long because I told everyone to be 4.45 okay. on, on the Twitterverse. Okay. okay. that's. I mean, you let me know when you want to go to him. I don't have my phone on me. And you know my, my, my computer is uh, – all of our computers are like four or five minutes ahead of real time. Yeah. It, so my my phone says it's uh here's my my phone says it's 438 my computer the reason for the show says it's 439 my microwave just turned to 438 my actual computer that I have says 438 so we'll play Mitch in about 7 minutes Okay Mitch in about 7 minutes 
<sighs> What's going on with Mike Fires? You know, re-signing Mike Fires, that was one of those deals where, you know, I, I, I love it. I still think it's good. But, you know, like talking about how Mitch Moreland is good at the Coliseum, so is Mike Fires. Here's Bob Melvin on Mike Fires and his MRI results today. Yeah, he, there's some inflammation in the hip area. So he's going to have an injection later this afternoon. And then typically it takes a couple days to calm down and then we'll, we'll proceed accordingly. So already depth being questioned, but this happens every single year, right? You never come out of spring training and it's hunky dory and there are no, no problems to see here. Here's Bob Melvin on Mike fires. Can he start the season? I would say it's, pretty difficult at this point, especially the fact that he's going to, you know, there'll be a couple days off before we even evaluate whether or not we want him to play catch again. And typically they don't go back right into the routine that they were at. You back them off a little bit, you play catch, you go bullpens again. So it's probably a long shot at this point, but if there's anybody that, that has the potential to do it, it's Mike. And the fact that he's been so durable and he seems to be able to get up to speed pretty quickly. Um, but handicapping it right now, it, it, it's probably a little bit of a long shot. Don't like to hear that, but it, it is what it is. But that, you know, that's been the one thing that we've talked about with the A's over time is all of the depth that they have. That that's been, you know, kind of like the hallmark of what we've talked about this off season is how many pitchers they do have. With Frankie Montas being back, you know, can one of these kids, whether it's, I don't know, let's have Bob Melvin tell you. He said over the weekend, who could be one of the guys to replace Fires? It's a longer list. I mean, Irvin's in that list and, you know, the Dunchies of the world and we'll, we'll see where it goes. I mean, ideally, you know, AJ would be a guy we would look to, but whether or not we're in a position to, you know, innings wise for him. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how the rest of the spring goes. Mm-hmm. And Dalton Jeffries, too. There, there's, a, there's a group of guys. Caprellian, Holmes. You know, we got a long way to go with spring training. That's been the one really, you know, thing that we could hang our hat on compared to, I think, other teams in the division, which, oh, by the way, Cody. Today, driving to the golf course. Yes, I played golf on my birthday. And it was miserable out there. It was cold. It was windy. It was brutal. But the thing that listening to on the way there, MLB radio on Sirius XM, as I tell all you guys, I I, I love it. But today, they were previewing or continued their preview of the AL West. And today was the Seattle Mariners. And my God, they made it seem like the Mariners could win the division. And I'm like, they had Jerry DePoto on, the GM, and and, and the whole time I'm going, are you guys going to ask about the service time issue? Are you guys going to ask about Kalerik? Is he going to make it? Because they've got multiple guys. And they're like, well, there could be a bunch of guys making their debut this year. I'm like, no, they're not. 
they, they, they may, but it's going to be a while and it's going to be service time and it's going to be, and it's a mess and it's a mess. Uh, and, and I guess when you do these preview shows, I mean, because we preview like we're doing the nationals today. We're going to be honest. You think it's good that Strasburg went out with the calf? I don't. Strasburg's never been healthy except what? A couple years? It's so funny, too, because remember on Friday, what was one of the buying or selling questions? Steven Strasburg will stay healthy for the entire season, and here it was the next day he's hurt. So it, it, they're, the Nationals are an interesting, interesting team, and we'll get to them later. But with the Mariners and Kelnick and, and all that stuff, they, they're going to be better, but they're not going to win the division. Yeah, Kelnick. I said what, Kalerik? Kalerik, yeah. Adam Kalerik yeah, did not yeah. have a – he gave up a grand slam in the game today to, yeah. to the Indians. Sorry, so. ace pitcher. Yeah, I mean – He's their top guy. And the cat's out of the bag after their president said, hey, at, at, at a banquet, we manipulate service time. And everybody does it in the league. So the fact that they were they were all hot and heavy on the Seattle Mariners today, I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not buying that whatsoever. I don't. I don't either. Like I said, I think they'll be better. But like, for example, today the the A's when we when they optioned some guys down, they they sent Grant Holmes and James Caprillion and a few other guys down to AAA Las Vegas. But you know, Bob talked about how they you know doesn't mean they're not you won't see them again. Those guys are probably going to be starters in the Angels or the uh, Mariners rotation if that was the Mariners situation where the A's have so much depth and so many guys that are good and they're top five of their rotation where those guys have, would have a chance to compete for a spot in the in the Mariners rotation right now. So it just shows you how far the Mariners are behind teams like the A's and the Astros. Speaking of the Astros, they named their opening day starter. Do you have any idea who it is? Zach Greinke. It's Zach Greinke, the first opening day starter to not be Verlander and Dallas Keuchel since Scott Feldman back in 2014. Wow, the right-hander? Yeah, I think he's from the Bay Area, too, if I'm not mistaken. No relation to David Feldman, I don't think, but – yeah, I mean, I mean, the bottom line: Holmes, Caprillion, that, 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 that. I, I could see them both. If we're talking about, you're going to need how many starters this year? Well, from an article I read earlier, which we might get into, there might be, we might see upwards to nine, of 900 pitchers used in baseball. That's over 30 per team, if that's the case. Yeah, you're looking at 900. So last year in baseball, there were 735 pitchers that made their, or there were 735 pitchers used last year in a 60-game season. They're projecting over 900 this year. I think the record, if you go back, was like a couple of years. It might have been 2019 where there were – I have the number right here. In 2019, there were 831 guys to debut in 2019. There were 735 last year. So 599 of those made at least one appearance in relief and 150 of those pitchers making at least one start. That didn't include the opener. The Astros had 10 guys debut last year for them. 10 guys made their major league debut – as relievers or starters for them in the 2020 season. I can see that number going way past uh, 735 this year. Buying or selling game one at the Coliseum, Zach Greinke doesn't go more than fra- doesn't go more than five. Buying. I think they'll 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 pull him out after five, and that that'll be it. And they'll bring in their bullpen guys in because. We saw last year Peter Gammons had an article, he, and it was like starter outing six innings or longer. That only happened 32% of the time in 2020. So where a year prior, in 2018 was 47% where they won at least seven innings or six innings. So 
It's going to be crazy to start the year for sure. All right, you ready to go to Mitch on the bank? Yeah, we are. Never before in A's Cast Live history have we had a guest fishing while doing the show. He's a World Series champion. He's a gold glove winner, owns 22 home runs against the A's in his career. Here is the first baseman slash DH, Mitch Moreland. Well, it is great to have you on the program, and it's great to not be calling you an, an enemy anymore after all these years of you tormenting the A's. Uh, Mitch, it's great to have you on the program. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Do you know your career numbers against the A's? Uh, I don't know exactly what they are, but I know they're better than uh, than most of them. You know, most of the teams I played against, so. You know, it's good to uh, – and usually at the Coliseum, it's been better. So, uh, hopefully I can keep that trend rolling. Yeah, let me tell you, you're a 271 hitter against the A's with 22 home runs, 59 RBIs, and 859 OPS. And, oh, by those 22 home runs, that's the most home runs you've hit against any other team. <laughs> well, but yeah, I knew it was pretty good. Did you ever think you'd be on the Oakland A's? You know, I, I wasn't sure. Um, you know, I've I've kind of had talks with people along the way. I, I had some talks with some people with the A's along the way and knew it might be a possibility. But, uh, you know, you never really know until it happens. So uh, I can't say I was too, you know, shocked by it. But at the same time, uh, you know, you never know. You know, your your yeah. old teammate, Elvis Andrus, we had him on once he was traded over here, and he talked about always like, wow, playing at the Coliseum, the, the place wasn't packed, but the place was loud. Just what was your impressions of playing at the Coliseum? Yeah, I mean, kind of the same, you know. Uh, obviously, it's it seems like the A's always had a good team, and they, you know, it was never fun to go in there and play those guys because it was, uh, you know, it was going to be a dog fight, and, uh, those uh, those teams were tough, and and just like Elvis was, you know, like you said, he said the, um, you know, it might not have been a full house, but uh, you could hear everything that was said to you, <laughs> and uh, you hear the drums going and everything. So uh, happy those guys are gonna be on my side now. Speaking of of hearing fans, just how nice has it been to have fans back in the ballpark for you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's great. You know, it feels a lot more normal. It feels like it's supposed to. Uh, last year was pretty weird, uh, not having not having the fans and uh, having that, that part of the experience. But, um, you know, definitely feels more normal. Looking forward to, to getting back to normal, uh, you know, in the regular season as well. As long, I, you know, you keep seeing states seem to open up a little bit more every day. And, uh, and I think the, the baseball side of it is doing the same. So. Yeah, well, we're just happy that uh, we got fans back in the stadium in Arizona. We're going to have fans back in the stadium in New York. And I, I think for all of us in this business, you know, whatever you do for a Major League Baseball team, I wouldn't you say we're all just going to appreciate the fans that much more now going forward after losing them last season? For sure. For sure. I mean, that's that's what uh, that's what makes it fun, you know, and uh, even for my uh, my family, you know, they that's what. My wife and my kids, they missed it, you know, and they talked about it. And, uh, you know, it's just it's just a good thing. You know, that's what it's that's, 
you know, really what we're doing it for and what we're playing for is for the entertainment side of it, for the fans there. So it's, uh, you know, it's good to, like I said, kind of get back to normal, get those fans in the stands and uh, have that interaction. You know, you're one of the guys that's come over and brings championship pedigree. I mean, you've played in the postseason a lot. You won the World Series with the Boston Red Sox. As a veteran player, how can you help these young players that have been to the playoffs, but they haven't gotten over that hump yet? Yeah, I mean, um, I try to stay as open as possible with them and and, uh, let them know, like, you know, if they had any questions for me. But at the same time, if I can – you know, pass along a little advice here and there about some stuff or, um, you know, how the game's played or something off the field, whatever it may be. Um, obviously, that's I'm, – I'm all for it. You know, I'm open to it. And, uh, you know, obviously this group is really good. I mean, there's a there's some great players here, and they've – you know, they've, they've had success. Uh, it's just kind of getting over that hump. And I think, you know, the team we've got is, is very capable of doing that. We've got a really good team and uh, – you know, obviously, if we can stay healthy and, and injury-free, you know, along the way, that'll help us too. So, um, you know, looking forward to the season getting getting going. Since you got into this clubhouse, have you seen the kind of confidence that this young core really has? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a confident group. Uh, definitely a hard-working group. Uh, all, the, all the pieces you need to, to have a, a winning ball club, a, a championship-type ball club, and um, it seems like we just go in and, and get our work in and, and, you know, we get better every day, but at the same time we're having fun and, and, uh, you know, we're loose getting, you know, kind of getting it done and, and having fun at the same time, which is, a uh, which is nice, especially when you got a, a really good team. <clears throat> when, when you came in here, how did they exactly explain what your role would be with the ball club? Um, I mean, in, in talks, I kind of knew. I mean, obviously, Olsen is great. Uh, he's a good ball player and, uh, you know, really good at first base. And um, I knew there probably wouldn't be a whole lot of time there. But they, uh, you know, that's that's pretty much what they told me was, uh, you know, DH most of the time and probably mostly against righties. And, I mean, it's kind of been my role the last few years. It's nothing, nothing new as far as the – the righty lefty like platoon setup. Um, DH is going to be a little bit different, but I'm trying to trying to learn that as I go. You know, here in spring training, figure out some kind of routine to keep me loose and and keep me uh, interacted, you know, or interacting in the game and, and staying locked in in the game and and um, you know just try to be try to stay as ready as possible. You know, I've always found the position to be fascinating. How do you, as you just said, how do you stay engaged for three, three and a half hours and you're only getting four at-bats? What do you do? I've heard everything. Guys getting on workout bikes. Guys going down hitting in cages. I've even heard about guys taking showers in between at-bats. It's like you got to find a way to keep the mind and keep the routine. Have you established one yet? <laughs> Well, I can tell you, it hadn't. I hadn't got to the taking showers in between. Yeah, I hadn't. I hadn't got there. But it's it's a little bit tougher in spring right now. You know, I don't have a cage that I, it's real close that I can kind of run up to and hit in between. Um, uh, we do have a weight room pretty close, so I've kind of ran up there a little bit here and there. But um, you know, I think it's going to be a work in progress. I really don't have an answer answer for it yet. On 
on what my routine's going to be. And obviously, until I feel like I'm comfortable and something's working, I, you know, I'll probably keep keep changing it. So that's uh, that's kind of where I'm at with it right now. Um, definitely trying to stay moving. You know, is is the main thing. But other than that, I'm I'm still working on it. So I so I know today I played golf in horrible weather here in the Bay Area. It was miserable. So for you yeah. though, on a light day, you're you're going fishing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you can hear the water behind me here, but uh, yeah, I'm just kind of walking the bank at, at uh Saguaro Lake. I drove up here and it's like 30 minutes out. I had to get out of the apartment. I had to get out get outside and uh, you know. That's, I, this is what I do, you know. I like I like to fish, I like to hunt. That's kind of uh, growing up in the South, and that's that's just that's that's our version of fun. I'm not real good at golf, and you know, kind of it, it frustrates me. So I just go do something that doesn't frustrate me as much, you know. Well, that you know, always always the thing about fishing is clearing your head. I mean, you're just out there. I mean, obviously, you want to catch something, catch some fish, but it's just it's a very peaceful type therapeutic i mean i guess you'd say therapeutic sport uh compared to like golf where you're th- you're throwing your clubs and pulling your hair out <laughs> yeah for sure um and you know it's it's different too it's kind of uh you, you get to see uh, obviously with spring training here we're in arizona different parts of the country and uh this this lake is beautiful you know nice backdrop is like you say a good way to good way to ease the mind a little bit and, and get your mind off of the the baseball part of it for a few hours and, you know, get ready to lock it back in tomorrow. Let's end on this. You were just with the San Diego Padres. You know they're up-and-comers and what they added this offseason. And the rivalry between them and the Dodgers right now, two ball clubs that really don't like each other. What do you think that that, that rivalry is going to be like in 2021 between the Dodgers, the, the defending champs, and the Padres? Man, um, it, had a, it had the feel last year. You know, when I got there, you could tell that there was uh, – that it was building and there was a little bad blood. So, um you know, I think it's only going to get better <laughs> as far as the rivalry goes this year. They they both got great teams, and um, you know the Padres made made some moves and made make themselves even better. And um, you know, I think it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch it play out this year because uh, they're pretty they're pretty equal on paper when it when it breaks down, and they've they both got some some studs, so it'll be fun to watch. Well, 15, 15 career home runs at the Coliseum. Uh, I'm so glad you're on our side now because I got tired <laughs> of watching you wear us out. So uh, good luck in spring. Be safe. Be well. I hope you get a, a couple bites today, and I can't wait to meet you at the Coliseum. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me on. Y'all have a good one. Great having Mitch on. You know what? He may be, Cody, a sneaky good guest. Well, maybe next time, I don't know, maybe we'll catch him in a tree stand or, you know, someone that, something like that. <laughs> in a blind? Yeah. Uh, it, it, maybe he's out camping with his family for a weekend. He's getting ready to go. Uh, but, no, I'm glad we got a chance to catch up with him because I got to – I sat on a Zoom call and he was 
Really, you know, he's really interesting talking about the DH position, you know, how he's transitioning into that role after being a gold glove first baseman. So uh, I'm glad he's on the A's because you're right, the 22 home runs at 15 at the Coliseum, uh, that's just more power added to the A's lineup from the left side, mind you. Well, and, you know, and we've addressed that here on A's Cast Live, being too right-handed, the lineup. You need some thump other than Matt Olson. And you think about a guy that loves hitting at the Coliseum. You know, some places, and I remember Jeff Bagwell. You know where Jeff Bagwell loved to hit on the road? And you would say, no way, that can't be true. I interviewed him, and he said, I love it here. Can you guess? Uh, Let me think. Horrible place. I mean, horrible. Wrigley Field. No, horrible place. Like ballpark or just horrible for hitters? Horrible ballpark. Miserable for everybody. Oh. um, I can't can't lead you down this road anymore. The Trop? Candlestick Park. Oh, I was was thinking more modern. You're you're too young. Uh, (laughs) Candlestick Park was the most miserable place. Jeff Bagwell loved it. He just says, I, I see the ball great here. And you're like, how? Everybody else says it's the most miserable place to hit. All right, now I'm going to go on the Jeff Bagwell rabbit hole. Thank you. Go look. He, uh, All right. As you go on that rabbit hole, coming up next, one of my favorite all-time ball players, Bip Roberts, right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town. Ace Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All right, going down your rabbit hole, give me the numbers for Jeff Kent at Candlestick Park. Uh, Jeff Bagwell. Stu- I mean, Jeff Bagwell. Yeah. Sorry. Jeff Bagwell stunk at Candlestick Park. He only had 389 with 12 home runs and 43 RBIs and 185 career bats at Candlestick Park. It threw me off on baseball reference because they called it 3Com Park. Not candlestick, so I had to look to make sure I was looking at the right one. Correct. So twelve Back homers. In the day, it was three com. Twelve homers and a three eighty nine batting average. Uh, that's okay. Mediocre. And the place was miserable, and the wind swirling, and the fog is coming over the the, the lip of the stadium, and it was. Ter- Bip Roberts played there. He's going to tell us. Are we calling Bip, or is he calling us? Uh, Bip is going to call into us. So I told him to call about. Two minutes, two minutes ago, so he should be calling shortly. Yeah, a couple of things to get in, into with Bip is how's he going to feel about the uh, pickoff limits? Can you imagine guys that stole bases, if you really, like, like legit stolen base guys? How many stolen bases would Ricky Henderson have in a year if you had this rule? Well, Vince, Col- Vince Coleman, Maury Wills. I mean, I can't even imagine. And there's our guy, Bip Roberts, all-star. You see him on A's pre- and post-game live on NBC Sports California. Bipster, how are you? Hey, hey, man. I'm doing great. Happy to be alive and breathing some fresh air and sitting on the couch relaxing. <laughs> you know, we were, we were just talking about Mitch Moreland and how he mm-hmm. loves it at the Coliseum. And the, there's just certain places – that you see the ball well, you feel good there. And I mentioned one of the most odd ones was Jeff Bagwell 
love to hit at Candlestick Park. No matter how miserable, how cold, tell us how bad it was to play at Candlestick Park. <laughs> Candlestick Park was like two seasons in one. Like batting practice, batting practice, we took it in the summertime. But then when the game started, we were in wintertime. It was just, it was just extreme. And so you just had to stay mentally focused on the game, knowing that, you know what, if I could just go up here warm, I could get off a good swing, or if I'm in the outfield, keep moving around because the wind is hitting hard. But it's tough. Once that sun goes down in San Francisco, the weather totally changes on you. So you got to be prepared for that. And you've seen some of the greatest outfielders look silly playing outfield <laughs> because of the wind at Candlestick Park. Uh, the ball goes up, and if it's in between you, and I was being left field sometimes, and the center field, I remember me and Joe Carter, I was telling Joe, if, 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 if the ball goes up, make sure you come over here because eventually it's coming to you anyway. So, you know, we'd always have to communicate, looking at each other. Where are you? Are you in? Are you back? And so it just became one of those things where every pitch I was looking over at Joe Carter like, man, you know what? I, I, I'm tired of looking over there at you, man. This is crazy. I can't wait to play a day game here. Was, was there a ballpark? that you went to an opposing ballpark that you went, I'm licking my chops. I just, I, I, I can't wait to hit at this place. You know, you're going to think this is ironic, but I remember facing the Montreal Expos when they had Pedro and Dennis Martinez and Pacero and all those guys. And I used to look forward to going to Montreal for some reason. And it just felt like once you got in the box that it was just open season. Like it was, it seemed like it was so vast that, you didn't see the infielders or the outfielders. It was just hit ball, and it would drop in there for a hit. And I just loved hitting there. It, it was just – it was one of those places where – and it, it, any place out you go, Tony, and you get hits, you felt great about it. But Montreal was up there, and I think that Chicago uh, playing the Cubs or the White Sox, that one was high up on my list too. Either Chicago team, they had pitchers who threw the ball right in the zone. And, and you know, when you get balls in the zone and you don't miss them, you get a lot of hits. The great commander Cody has your batting average in Montreal, I think, which is a great example because there's a lot of people that hated old Olympic Stadium that thought it was a dump, just like Jeff Bagwell <laughs> hitting a candlestick. You know, the hitters ballparks, sometimes they're not always your favorite. Do you know what you hit in Montreal? I don't. I just know that I would get some hits there. Montreal was always a good trip. <laughs> uh, you're a... You were a 365 hitter in Montreal. Yeah, yeah, that was fun, man. I, it was always some hits there. I don't know. I, I didn't know it was, you know, that high of an average there, you know, especially when you're facing that type of pitching. But I knew I had some really good games there. That's one that, when you ask me that, it jumps off at the top of my head. I don't know exactly what, you know, what Wrigley was or over there at Comiskey, but, you know, I, I know I had some pretty good games over there against the White Sox, but. It was always fun. Any place you get hits, Tony, that's one of your favorite places. <laughs> the food tastes better. The hotel's better. <laughs> everything's better in that city. Everything's better in that city. That's right. <laughs> okay, so I want your opinion on this. In Class A, they're going to do pickoff limits for pitchers. As a base stealer, if you knew the pitcher had pickoff limits with you on base, how would you take advantage of that? Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm getting an extra large lead the first time to draw him over. I'm getting another lead where maybe I short and I take off and make him throw back over there. 
I'm getting one where I'm, I'm juking him and with one foot trying to get him to throw. And now I know if he can't go over, now I'm going to get a huge lead. There's no way in the world you're going to throw me out. There's no way in the world. Yeah, I, I'm thinking like Ricky Henderson, Vince Coleman, Tim Raines, Maury Wills. You think about all the great base stealers. Like, like I, it'd be crazy. But you know what? Those guys have not been in the game. Guys like you haven't been in the game. Maybe a rule like this at the minor league level, I don't think you can do it at the major league level, but maybe this will promote base dealers again. I hope so, because that seems like a lost art. You know, and I hate to go back to when we played, but when we played, we had guys on every team running. Every team had a running game. I mean, when you start looking at it, you go back in those, those late 80s and early 90s, you see guys up there with, at least 40 bags, you know, the leaders had 88, Marquise Grissom and Vince Coleman and Timmy Raines, and, and the list goes on and on. Of course, Ricky and those guys, but every team had guys that could run. The Cardinals had seven guys that could run. Montreal yeah. had eight guys that could run. You know, the Cubs had guys that could run with Sandberg and, and Sean Dustin and those guys. We had guys to run, Roberto Alomar, myself. And so we had guys all over the entire league, Brett Butler. I mean, every team had guys who could run. You know, it was just a matter of when they were going to go, but they were going to go. And now you look at it now and guys come up and, and they think 10 bags is a great season. We're laughing like, really? 10 bags. That's a great season. Mm -hmm. and, and, and guys don't even run. So, you know, hopefully this will develop the game that used to be where you saw a lot of guys who were athletic and they could steal second and third and get there with no outs and get a run in score over a hundred runs. But it made the game more exciting to see guys being able to steal bases. You knew guys were going to go, but there was nothing you could do about it. So hopefully down in the minor leagues, there's some speed. There's some guys who understand that, hey, if I get to second base and there's no outs, you know, I can score on a ground ball to second and a fly ball to center field without a hit. But I think it's just a, where in the minor leagues, you have to hone in that skill. The very first guy I ever saw in the minor leagues that I played against was Vince Coleman. And he stole second, he stole third, and he was trying to steal home, only it was a foul ball. So, you know, these guys used to run wild in the minor leagues. <laughs> Larger bases in triple A. How much will how much do you think that will affect it? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know, man. This is all some new stuff. You're talking I, about having bases as large as pillows out there where you can just <laughs> step on it without Stepping on the third baseman's foot or getting tripped, you don't even have to come close to him now, right? And and so I, I don't know where do how do you set how do you set up these bases and then the ball's hit down the line and it goes across the big fat part of the base? I mean, it, it just I have to see these things. I can imagine what it looks like, but to play in a game with an extra large base and you know you have it at first, you have it at third, and you hook a ball and it goes over the base only because it was ten feet bigger than it used to be. I mean I don't know, Tony. That's how large are these bases? <laughs> I, I can't remember, but they are going to be bigger. And I, I just wonder how many times will we see balls hit bases more than ever before? I want to see it. Right. I just want to see how it works. May like it, may not. Uh, we start right. to have cuts, right? At spring training. At some point, you're going to start moving guys out. Guys are going to go back to AAA. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, it's far different without having all the minor leaguers there. But just talk about AAA, what it's like for a young guy, a guy in his prime and an older guy trying to hang on. Yeah, a young guy, he's getting there thinking that this is the last step before I get to the big leagues. The guy in the middle is trying to hold on to his job because that young guy is coming to move him out. 
And the guy who's in there, he's just saying, you know what, I got to bide my time because I'm going to get another shot. So everybody has a different mentality, but you all have to come together in that AAA because you still have to play games together. But everyone is different. You know, when that young guy first gets there, he just believes he's only going to be there for until he gets that phone call. You know, and that guy in the middle, he's trying to hang on just until the end of the season. And maybe he gets a call up or maybe he becomes a free agent. But And that other guy who's been there, he's just wondering how long is he going to be there? You know, it's almost some of the guys are fill-ins or fill-ins into that roster to make sure that AAA is, is of, of the quality it should be. But then there are guys who are coming up there who we know when they get there are going to the big leagues. And i just give you an example. The AAA team I played on in 88, we had seven guys go to the big leagues. And some of those guys weren't even on the roster at the beginning of the season, such as myself. I wasn't even on the roster. I had to earn that. I thought I was going to be a free agent moving on after the season. But I had a great year, and they brought me back up. Some of the guys who were on the roster, they didn't have a great season, and they didn't come to the big league. So they were disappointed. And then you had guys like Roberto Alomar, who was only there for like, seven days and he went to the big leagues the young guys they they come they're ready to move on but some of us we have to earn our way back to the big league so it's different for everybody everybody has their own program that they're on but if you can if you can have results and and you can turn some heads back towards you then maybe as an older guy you get a shot but you only get that one shot you know you only get that one shot because if you don't get that one shot you're probably a triple a for four or five years as a fill-in player and then at some point in time, they're going to ask you to move on. You know, when you got to see Roberto Alomar, I mean, did you know right away, like, this guy's different, this guy's special? Oh, man. His first game in AAA, I think he had a, a grand slam. I think the second game, he had a three-run homer. And he made this play that was just crazy going up the middle, sliding and jumping up and throwing the ball to first. And everybody looked and said, he won't be here tomorrow. And I believe in less than 10 days, he was already in the big leagues. And Joey Carr had come back down to AAA. (laughs) It was amazing to see this kid with so much talent. And he could do things that I had never seen before. Joe Morgan was the greatest second baseman I've ever seen. Robbie came through and he started doing some things that I had never seen when he would catch the ball while sliding and come up and throw. I had never seen that ever before until Robbie Alomar. You know, Chris Bassett said spring training could change forever. And I kind of agree with him. There's a lot of there's a lot of time where there's people standing around and you know it's 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 busy work and people think the longer you stay out there, the harder you're working. But now, you know, with less guys in camp and the big leaguers really playing just against each other for the most part, you know, they're getting their work done and they're getting out of there. I mean, could 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 this be a change where all clubs realize, you know what, less is more? Yeah, I like it. I like less is more because, as you say, you can get your work in. And instead of having, you know, 300 guys that you have to make sure get their work in that day, you're talking about maybe 45. And so it makes it easier to control that environment and to give guys the opportunity to get better day in and day out. You know, because sometimes when you say, hey, guys, you're going to stay after you got 14, 15 guys stand after. And now the guy who's going to throw BP is going, really? Like, really? How am I going to throw to 15 guys? But if it's just the major league guys there, maybe you ask four or five guys to come out. And now you get quality work. 
So you got to learn, and I believe they're learning to work smarter than work harder. You know, you can stay out there for 15 hours, doesn't mean you're going to get better, especially if your feet hurt, your lower back is killing you, and every time you take a swing, you need to go in and get some ice because you've been out there too long. You know, you've depleted all your nutrients, and you need to get some food and keep moving forward. And because it's it's not as many people, now you can get in and get out at a reasonable time. And guys that have a day off, now they can get some, some real quality work and then, you know, get off the field and get home and rest. But you don't have to worry about, well, you know, I got 75 guys in camp and I got to make sure everybody gets their work in. That's a tough thing to do. And so you, you give coaches a lot of credit for, 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 for putting in the time with these guys, but they put in time. They get there at 6 o'clock in the morning, some earlier, and they don't get out at 5 o'clock that day. And they've done everything physical. So you know they're worn out, but they have to come back the next day. This allows them to at least catch their breath when they go home and be able to actually relax because they're not having a report on 75 guys. What did you see in this guy today? Well, I don't, what, is, what number is he? Number 755. Oh, I don't know what number 755 <laughs> did today. I didn't see him. I was sleeping over the corner. You know, I was tired. So I think everybody has a rejuvenation of energy each day they get up in the morning. And if there's something that needs to be done, there's not 30 guys in the club, uh, in the training room. There's only six or seven. And so you can get your work in and get out. So I like it this way. Yeah, why not stagger it? You know, if you have the time and it works on the schedule, stagger it so that everybody can get the same sort of treatment when they get there. You get your work in, you get off, you take care of everything off the field. And then the next day, it's the same. It's not, you know, 75 here today and then three go down and 10 go down and seven go down. No. You know what's going to happen if those guys do go down, they'll stagger into the next level with AAA guys. And then if they go down even further, they'll stagger in with the next guys. But they'll always be with their guys. So they'll get that quality work. Pip, I'll never forget this. Last year, A's Dodgers, I'm down the left field line. I'm eating and I'm watching the game. And the Dodgers had the bases loaded. Two of the guys were wearing number 88. The other guy was wearing 89. (laughs) <laughs> right. Hey, 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 Tony, when I first got with the Pirates, I was number like 62 my first year of camp. And I, and I remember we were playing the Royals on a 10 o'clock game. And I, of course, you know, I'm running and, and I'm with like Parker and Sarge and these guys. And all of a sudden, Hal McCray comes over from Kansas City and he sees my number. He goes, well, we know who's going down first. And I went, oh, my God. I won't be here much longer, I guess. <laughs> what, what were you, an offensive lineman with the number 62? <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah, I guess he's right. And I think I was maybe 18 or 19. And I'm really thinking I'm going to make the team. But your numbers dictate where you're going and how long you're going to be here. So when, when Chuck Tatter cut me, I was in there crying. And he was like, what are you crying for? I was like, I want to make this team. He was like, he just started laughing. I was like, really? <laughs> Yeah, I want to make this team, but I was going back to a ball where I should be. So it was okay with me. Well, the thing too, you know, I feel so bad for the minor leaguers, Bip. It's been 18 months since they played in games. I, I, I I don't know what the mentality is like for these guys. I mean, they think they know when they're going to start, but nothing set in concrete. I mean, just like what advice would you give to these minor leaguers? Well, all you can do is control what you can control. They don't, they can't control anything that's going on around them, but they have to be ready. And so I would be really thinking about getting myself prepared for whatever season's possible and trying to get me five to 600 at bats and see how much I can grow in one season. 
because that's all you can really do. When you play, that's the only way you can get better. You can't get better sitting at home 18 months. And I know it's very difficult. If you haven't played an 18 months live action against pitching that is, of course, major league or, you know, professional, it's going to be tough to get back into that. So, you know, I don't want to give anybody a pass because they, they don't want to accept the pass. They want to do as best as they can. But none of us have ever gone through that. So how can we expect them to come out and be the player they were they were 18 months ago if they haven't played? So I think it's a disadvantage to these kids. And I think it's unfair. But none of us, you know, we didn't, I mean, we didn't know what COVID-19 was. We didn't know that was going to show up one day on, on, on the schedule. And so now they have to find a way to deal with it. Are, is there going to be an leniency if a guy comes back and he was a, a considered a great prospect and he struggles? Or is that going to affect him and maybe he loses his job? See, it's, it's a lot of stuff in there that's, that's, again, uncontrollable and it's unfair, but it's a part of the game. You know, this is a game of results. You've got to find a way to get your job done. So if you, get, if you can get into a season and get you 500 at bat, you will get better. You will get that rust off of you and you will start to get – to the point where you feel like, okay, I have that confidence back, even though I felt coming into the season that I had lost something maybe. But I think that if you can just get a full season in and not have any stoppages, you can get that rhythm back. And then now you have that muscle memory to carry you forward. Well, and think about this. Everybody's minor league system is affected the same, right? So it's going to be, yeah. it's going to be the same. I, I don't think they really know how it's going to work out, Bip. I really, I don't, you know, there, there's no blueprint to, to how, how do you run your organization when it can't can't play for. I mean, by the time they probably play, it's probably going to be around 20 months. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that's where coaching comes in. You know, a lot of these guys who are coaches have a lot of experience, and they know a lot of drills that can keep your hand-eye coordination sharp, and they know exactly certain type of drills that can allow you to make solid contact. You know, these guys that are teaching that launch angle, I think, you know, you might have to kind of scratch that a little bit and learn how to swing down on the ball, keep the ball on the ground, hit the ball, keep it in play. Because if you're coming back after 20 months and you have launch angle, you're striking out 45 times in two weeks, you're not going to be around very long. So I think they have to get back to the basics of what Pepper used to be. Remember how we used to play Pepper? Yes, you know, every I think day. they have to. Yeah, I think they need to get back to drills like that so that guys can get those extra swings on the sidelines before they get there and start their batting practice and start games. I think you have to go back to the basics of what baseball is. See ball, hit ball, play pepper, do the little things that the guys from the old school used to do. And I think those guys showed us the way. They were pretty good ball players. They didn't have all this extra stuff. They just fundamentally were sound and understood the basics. And I think that's where you start from. And if you can advance from that, then you take the next step. But you want to make sure that your basics are covered. Your fundamentals are sound. You can use the opposite feel. You can hit the ball hard on the ground. And when you learn that, now you can change your swing a little bit according to what you see and how you feel that day. But if you're trying to swing up with this, this, this angle, launch angle, and, and you're swinging at pitches that you can't hit, you may not be around that much longer because guys are going to be more consistent and understanding, I need to just put the ball in play in order to have the proper results I need. On your way out, promote your real estate. Oh, yeah, I'm doing that in Terrell right now. I'm working on this project, Uncuffed, which is uh, working on grants to actually house the homeless. So it's a large grant that we're working on right now, and we're going to try to get the homeless 
off the streets. We're going to try to get those who are transitioning from prison into transitional homes. We're going to try to get the ladies who have nowhere to go. We're going to try to get them home. Then we're going to try to get the veterans in places where they should be. So it's a large project we were working on at Encero, but our goal is to make sure that those who are on the streets right now have a roof over their head. I can't wait to see you in a suit on television. <laughs> it's coming, buddy. It's coming. We got our schedules. You'll see me soon. I can't wait to see you, man. It's been a long time. <laughs> it's, it's been too long, my friend. Be safe, <laughs> be safe and we'll talk soon. Take care of yourself, and you be safe. Take care of that family. The great Bip Roberts right here on A's Cast Live. As you know, grew up watching him. He's one of my favorites, one of my all-time favorites, and it's been an honor to get to know him, to get to work with him, to call him a friend. Bip's a great guy. I've done TV with him. I've done radio with him, and I always love – Cody, I always love when you book the Bipster. The former all-star. Consider another birthday gift to you from me. I'm just giving you a bunch of gifts the last few days. Hopefully, I can't wait to bust open the wine. Yeah, hopefully the wine from Cottery next door to my apartment, you know, really sets the tone at your at your house tonight with your your uh, family. So you got to let me know how it is, and hopefully it, it's you know it it uh, gets rave reviews, and I'll let Kyle know who owns Cottery, and we can get some more for you going forward. We've got uh, ribs. And chicken wings on the smoker as we speak. Also, on, you, actually, both smokers are going right now. You actually got something uh, before no, anyone else did. You got the first official save the date for the wedding on Friday as well. Oh, cannot wait. It's finally going to happen. Yeah, it's only, what, eight months away? Or is it eight months? Something like that, yeah. Oh, I can't wait. We're almost there. Who are the Washington Nationals? Uh, well, they finished uh, what, fourth in the division last year. Remember but, when they were winning the World Series title? Remember they got out? They got out to like a horrific start and then stormed back and won the World Series. Who are the Nationals? Bryce Harper's gone. Juan Soto's a star. You still got Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin. Can Strasburg stay healthy? Last year, they were 26 and 34. You know, we talk about how good the East is. East was terrible last year. I mean, when you really think about it, Mets were 26 and 34. The Fighting Phillies and our guy Franny was on, they were 28 and 32. The Nationals were 26 and 34. And now everybody's sitting back going, oh, look out. This is the division to beat. I don't know. I mean, the Marlins were 31 and 29. Was that a fluke? And the one team that we know is good is the Atlanta Braves. We will preview the Washington Nationals. We're going to the Capitol, baby. How will the Nats be in 2021? You'll find out next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Eduardo Perez from ESPN and MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. And when I'm in the Bay Area, I make sure I listen to Ace Cast Live. And Grant Paulson from Grant and Danny on 106.7 The Fan in D.C. is going to join us here to break down the Nats as we continue our tour around spring training sites. And right now we're in the NL East. Max Scherzer, by the way, is on the last year of his deal. 
the final year of his seven-year 210. Remember when those deals seemed big? Yeah. When you're like, oh, my God, Max Scherzer signed. And now, I mean, now <laughs> Bauer's making $40 million a year. But I see Mad Max as a, no doubt, a future Hall of Famer. The premier power pitchers in the game of baseball. Efforting Grant. Wow, we might have to. Well, you know, you know, it's the one thing that you know, you'll you, you'll know this better than most. What's the one thing that always bugged you when you did sports talk radio, when when guests didn't answer? And I, it doesn't bug me. It happens, but Grant would know better than anyone. He's a sports talk host. Well, I'll tell you this: it bothered me so much that I'm always prepared and ready to go when people ask me to come on their shows. You know, because for years, whether it's been A's or Raiders, people would contact me, and I'm like, okay, I, I get it. And, you know, it's just it, – it, it's it's one of those deals to where they're promoting you, they're talking about you, and all of a sudden you don't show up. You know, especially since you've said, yes, I will do it. But, you know, who knows? Things happen in life. We understand that. Especially in the last year. Um we learned that, you know, we understand more than anything. So, All right, until until we can hook up with him, one thing that I want to get in, into with you that I heard today on MLB Radio was the fact that there is this belief that you have to, if you're someone, and this was based off the Mariners. So if you're in the Pacific Northwest, and you're the Mariners right now. And the only reason why I'm talking about the Mariners is because they've been previewing Seattle today on MLB radio. And it was said that they need to overpay for a player to get some legitimacy in Seattle. Because remember, Griffey was a draft pick. A-Rod was a draft pick. The big unit was a trade. He wasn't, you know, he was he was wild thing before wild thing in Montreal. He wasn't winning Cy Youngs at the time. So there's this belief in the game that for you, a team that let's say has young players or a team that, you know, maybe is not a destination spot, which I don't even know what a destination spot is anymore. You, you got you got teams with big money in in major markets that are rebuilding. What's a destination spot? You want to win? Of course, you want to get paid. Everybody wants to get paid. But a destination spot, there's only a few left. If you want to talk about big market and getting paid, because right now you got you got teams looking to dump people, looking to rebuild that are big market teams. But this theory that you need to sign, you need to overpay. Like I'm going to go above market value to bring one guy in to help lure other people there. This was a whole topic of conversation that just frustrated me in my car. And I'm going, have you guys ever heard of Billy Bean and David Forrest? Have you ever heard of the Tampa Bay Rays? 
These teams don't do that. And that's why they don't get stuck with a bad contract. And no, just because you, you, Jason Worth, you think you overpay, which they, the Nats, did overpay for Jason Worth. You think because they overpaid for Jason Worth, people are like, I got to go there now. That I'm gonna, I, I, I'm going to, my future is going to be based on Jason Worth's contract. I think that's a crazy. I think, but you know what? And this was a former player who was saying this. This is kind of the mentality of players and making money and, you know, hey, listen, do I really want to go to Seattle? But if I can get them to pay me X when I can I can only get Y somewhere else, I'll give you a great example. Robbie Cano left the Yankees to go to Seattle for to get overpaid. How many times did the Mariners make the playoffs with Robbie Cano as a Mariner? You literally stole my entire take when you were going to come to me. I was going to bring up Robbie Cano and his 10-year, $240 million deal signed by Jack Sorensic, who I'm actually talking to tomorrow for something for my college. So maybe I'll bring up the old Robbie Cano contract with him. But um, they made it zero times is the, uh, the answer to that. Uh, by the way, Grant just, uh, Grant just said to call him back. So, But, yeah, it's zero times the uh, – the Mariners made the playoffs. They've made the playoffs since 01. So uh, they're, they're still building towards that. We can get back into this because it's really good because it ties into your whole thing about the Giants. Where what big uh, what big pitcher of, or what big hitter of the Giants signed? And they've won World Series since, you know, in the last 10 years. And they haven't got a big name free agent to sign there yet. It's a great example. Grant, how you doing? Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Chris, how are you? Good to talk to you. Well, we're, we're, what we've been doing through spring training is we're going around to every single camp, and we're right now in the National League East and uh, looking at the Washington Nationals, defending champs going into last year, finished 26 and 34. You know, I look at the East, there was quite a few bad records other than the Braves, uh, and then, the, of course, the Marlins snuck in, but isn't it very hard to really judge 2020 and now look at it and, and compare it with what we're going to see in 2021? Yeah, I've spent the last few weeks talking to members of the Nationals organization, both players and, and people in the staff. And, you know, they don't take much out of last year. They feel like it was something of a fluke season uh, between the shutdown for spring training that led to some of their pitching velocities being down and their staff, which the team was really built around not being as good and the fact that they haven't unfurled their banner and, and celebrated their world series title with fans yet. They're just now hoping they might get a few thousand people uh, into nationals park for the first time since they last played there in the league championship series on opening day on the 1st of April. You know, they, they look at last season as something that happened. I think the phrase that Patrick Corbin and, and Jan Gomes used when I talked to them recently was it was a year to get it in. You know, you go out there, you play the games, you, you compile the innings and when it ends, it ends. That's kind of how they viewed it. So uh, that's their story. They're sticking to it. That's all well and good until you start playing this year. You can kind of chalk last year up as a, as a fluke, but you got to go out and play better ball and, and win baseball games. And, and they didn't do that last year to the extent that they need to. You know, you think about how the Nationals are built. You think we can talk Soto, but it's built on the rotation. And the minute you hear about Strasburg and a calf, what are your first thoughts? Well, I guess first and foremost, I was happy that it wasn't an arm. I mean, it's not an elbow. It's not a shoulder. Those are the types of things that give you 
a lot of pause and hesitancy and, and trepidation about pitchers. So when you first hear these coming out of a spring training start and the game wasn't televised here locally, that was kind of my first concern. So there's a little bit of a relief that it's a cast. Uh, he says it's a non-issue. Uh, the video I saw and having just talked to a couple people today around the ball club, it sounds like they're downplaying it for now. So I would say not a whole lot of concern on my end, but you'd rather him not have left the start early. Clearly you'd rather his cast to be feeling good. Uh, but I'll take something in the cast for Strasburg who's had Tommy John surgery before over anything going on with his arm. Remember he only pitched twice last season, just a couple of innings. He had a, a nerve impingement in his hand and got shut down. So that needed surgery. And after that operation, you want to make sure that that isn't an issue as well. So I think by and large with Strasburg, if you can get him to opening day, the way he has thrown the efficiency he's thrown with shown with his you know economical pitch counts and the way uh, all of his stuff looks and the repertoire to this point has been elite as you'd anticipate. He looks ready to go. Yeah, I mean, the rotation is about a lot of veteran guys when you bring in John Lester and you talk Strasburg and you talk Scherzer, who, by the way, is in the last year of his deal. We were laughing before you came on. You remember when Scherzer signed seven years, $210 million, and we thought, oh, man, that was such a huge contract. And now what we see today, that's yeah, kind of a deal. But, uh, yeah, you got, you got it's definitely a veteran rotation. Absolutely, yeah. Scherzer at the top has won two Cy Young Awards and been a runner-up in another Cy Young chase since coming to Washington. It's their best free agent signing ever, and it's one of the great free agent signings, frankly, in baseball. When you look at the World Series championship that was netted in the year where he was fantastic in the playoffs and just the overall production. You know, Rizzo actually got beat up a little bit for that deal in terms of uh, looking back at it, as you were saying you guys were. You know, people thought giving $200 million to a pitcher who was at the time, I think 30 years old already. Um, people thought that was nuts. And, and I can't imagine what this organization would have looked like over the years without him. But he's still their horse. And he was the epitome of durable for so many years. Didn't miss starts. Wasn't on the shelf. Last couple of years, his body's broken down a little bit more. And he's missed a couple of outings here and there. Uh, so they're hoping he stays healthy because he's very much still capable of throwing seven innings and striking out 10 every time out. And he'll be one of the top five or six pitchers in the National League if they have their way. Uh, Strasburg is a guy who himself is, is a Cy Young caliber arm, was a firm, former first overall pick, is a World Series MVP. He's better today from a, just an Arsenal standpoint than he's been at any point with his uh, fastball and, and curveball and changeup all being plus pitches. Uh, they signed Patrick Corbin two years ago to a $140 million contract. He was terrific in 2019, one of the best left-handed starters in the National League. He's got a great slider and has been one of the best lefties on lefties in the game, dating back to when he was Arizona several years ago. Uh, last year was really tough for him. He led the league and hits allowed, did not pitch very well. Just the complete opposite of kind of not only what he was in year one in D.C., but even coming out of Arizona, why he got paid. And talking to him recently, you know, his velocity was down almost two miles an hour on the fastball, a mile and a half or so on the slider. Just one of those years where he kind of knew he never really felt like himself. He was chasing his tail. So he's expecting to bounce back. And then they brought in John Lester. Uh, Lester did leave camp for a medical procedure. He's back. They're ramping him up, hoping to have him ready for the first trip through the rotation. Whether or not he's able to post you know, for their fourth game, uh, he shouldn't miss very much time at all, if any. Uh, they think you know, he's a guy year in and year out. If you look up his numbers, it never misses time that takes the ball and 
and gives you 30 starts. They're looking for 275, 280 innings from him. They think that's a valuable asset in a year where you know, innings are going to be at a premium because so many guys were down last year and you're going to have to build some of your young arms up and think about 2022. And then their fifth starter spot is, is up for grabs, but I think will be won by Joe Ross, who is a, at one point in time a Padres farmhand who came over with Trey Turner in a trade many years ago, who's you know, thrown decently at times, both as a starter and out of the bullpen, but it's mostly been, I would say, a disappointment when they've given him a chance to run with a starter's job. They're hoping he does that this year as their fifth starter. How much would you like to be Juan Soto's agent? Oh, the most. Yeah, that means I'm Scott Boris, and that means I'm doing very, very well for myself. But uh, the money he's going to make, Chris, is, is, I mean, it's astronomical. You know, we were looking at this, and I was breaking the numbers down after uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. signed his deal, 13 years, and, and the $340 million that he signed for. And while everyone kind of went nuts at that contract, when I looked at it, my first thought was, I can't believe he signed that because I'm kind of used to the Soto economics here where we've been talking about what he could make. You know, he's going to not sign a contract represented by Scott Boris. So he'll have four years left here in Washington counting this season. Those arbitration eligible years, if you look at the projected numbers for him, and I'll be conservative, we'll get him into the mid fifties in millions of dollars over the next four years in earnings just through arbitration. So if you, if you, if you're at four years and 55, 57 million, just roughly, and then he's 26 years old and he's free agent. So let's say at 26, he signs a 12-year contract. And I'm just picking 12 because that's kind of the, the trend right now is these 12, these 13-year deals. But if he signs a 12-year deal to get to 38 years old, you know, at that point, the, the AAV right now for the elite players in the league, the top annual average value that he'd be looking for is about 37 million. Uh, I think Mike Trout's number one at 36 and a half. Well, that number is going to go up, right? You're talking about four years from now. Every three years, baseball kind of resets economically and is worth billions more dollars. I think guys like Boris look at the game as in four-year intervals in terms of when the money hits and when the, the contracts change. But let's just say in four years, somehow, some way, COVID-related, what have you, that that 37 AAV hasn't gone up. So we'll just say that it's today's annual average value. So again, extremely conservative because it'll probably be 40 or more million per year. You know, you do that math at 12 years, you're, you're talking about, you know, 400 plus million dollars plus adding in the 57 million in the four arbitration years. And you're just under 500 million dollars going into his age 39 season. So that's just some quick math on, on how Scott Boris is thinking about this. And then he probably is thinking bigger dollars than I am doing this in my living room. But I say that all to say that, yes, I would like to be his agent. He's unbelievable. He's one of the great players in the game at 22 years old. And, and just watching him night in and night out is a complete treat. I haven't been this enamored with or really, you know, just man crushed on a player uh, as an adult probably in my life. I think the last time I was this smitten with a baseball player, I was a kid sleeping with his glove. He's just, he's unbelievable to watch. Okay. So Trout is, I was he 426 or four hundred twenty-six point five million, it, it, and 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 now that Bowers hit forty, on average, I think you are being conservative. I mean, could I mean if this kid keeps putting up the numbers, and as you say, we get back economically back to where we normally are. I mean, why not close to five hundred million? Well, I, I think it's totally possible. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, for me, I think, you know, when I say I'm being conservative, I think that's the reasonable way to do it, right? Because otherwise people kind of roll their eyes and say, oh, you're crazy because we've never seen anything 
quite like it. But, you know, frankly, we've never seen a player do what he's doing at his age. You know, he's 22 years old and he's already an MVP candidate who compares favorably to Ted Williams. <laughs> Jason Stark wrote a story in The Athletic. This is not a DC homer. This is a, a nationally renowned writer and statistical analyst who basically looked at the numbers. And this is the same kind of thing that's been done by people at Fangraphs and folks with MLB media like uh, Mike Petrelio. And, and they're all saying the same thing, which is the, the best comp at this point, this many games into a career for Juan Soto is Ted Williams. Uh, it's pretty amazing. I mean, he, the, 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 what you're getting out of Soto that no one else can do, it's the home run power with the ability to walk so much more than he strikes out. Nobody else does it. Like you don't hit this many home runs at an, in an era where, and at a time where everyone strikes out without swinging and missing without striking out. And he doesn't just walk more than he strikes out. He does so at an alarmingly high rate that is kind of unforeseen for anyone other than maybe like a slap hitting second baseman who's a back to ball contact guy who's five, eight and one seventy five, And, you know, is a scrappy player. And, and Juan Soto, meanwhile, has got 45 homer power and is putting up MVP counting stats while he's doing it. So it's just a unique skill set. It's he's special. And yeah, I believe that, you know, don't forget though, you get, you add in the four years and the around or a little bit under maybe $60 million that he gets from those arb years before his free agent contract, you know, at 26 years old and he's hitting free agency three or four years younger than a lot of the guys of his era, you know, the Pujols and the Canoes, those types of guys, they hit free agency closer to 30 and got their 10 year contracts for 240 million or whatever the rate was at the time. He's going to get, if it is 10 years, he'll get another bite at the apple after that at a time where there's going to be a DH in both leagues. So yeah, he'll make an amount of money very likely, I would say, that no one's ever made before, and I don't think it's going to be particularly close. God bless him. Uh, power was an issue last year for the Nats. Schwarber, Bell, what do you expect out of them? I like the Josh Bell addition, frankly, more than I do the Schwarber acquisition. Uh, they are very confident that those two guys are going to provide exactly what you just said was lacking, which is pop. Uh, they think Schwarber can hit toward the top of their order, particularly against right-handed pitching. Davey Martinez told me during camp that uh, he wouldn't be surprised to potentially even lead Schwarber off at times against right-handers. If you look at his splits, he is much better against right-handers as a lefty bat, and he hits for a little bit more average, but can get on base, can draw some walks, does obviously hit for immense power against right-handers. So, they're intrigued by that. You know, I just think the skill set's fairly limited. The, the, the power's plus. It's authentic. It's there. You've seen it. Uh, when he gets a hold of it, it's going to go a long way. I, I, too much swing and miss for me. Um, not a big fan of low batting average, uh, low contact types. And it hasn't really been their way, frankly, over the last several years. But, you know, they needed some power, so they're going to make a deal with the guy that, that brings some of those deficiencies. Obviously, he's a left fielder only defensively. You're not going to play him anywhere else. If they had a designated hitter in the National League, you know, I'd like to move even a little bit more. They had that last year. They don't have it this year. I think they were somewhat hopeful, even down to the wire, that, that they were going to have that option, uh, and that didn't come to fruition. Belvo's really, really interesting. You know, he's a guy, he's really only had the one season, and it was the same year that Schwarber almost hit 40 homers, where he hit 37, that the first half of 19, he was – 
unbelievable. Made the all-star team, was one of the best hitters in the league. That's the outlier. That's not what he's been. But they think that they can tap into that. Their hitting coach, Kevin Long, is one of the most respected hitting coaches in the sport. Uh, he's very sharp when it comes to you know, the analytical approach and the new school thinking of, of launch angle and getting people to hit the ball in the air and, and turning some of the you know, fly balls into home runs. So I think they're going to bank on that. They'll tell you privately, I think that they're also expecting a little bit of a boost for Bell, just getting him out of an organization where it's not that easy to go to work every day and to, to play the way you want to when you're not protected that well and there aren't that many other great players around you. I think they think he's going to get a lot out of their environment, their culture, their clubhouse, you know, being a part of a team that's competing every day. There's some more contact, a little bit more ability to hit for average. Not that he's going to hit 300, but I think he can hit you know, 265, 270 than, say, Schwarber. And he does handle himself at first, I think, a little bit more adequately than Schwarber will and left. So those are some of the reasons I like him more. But they want those two guys to hit over 60 home runs for them this year. You know, anything they get over that would be a big plus. I think that's bullish, but that's kind of the plan. And they need protection for Juan Soto. They didn't have it last year. Uh, he still found a way, amazingly enough, to have an incredible season. But they know that you're playing with fire when you continue to ask him to do that without a whole lot of help. So that's why they went and got those two guys to try to contribute in the middle of their order. Let's end on this. Handicap the ease for me. How do you think it goes down? I think people are sleeping on the Braves. I would say I would not rule out Atlanta hanging with the Mets. I think those two teams to me are the top two clubs in the division. Uh, I've seen some of the projections on some of the sites that forecast win totals and Atlanta is much lower than I would anticipate. I think their young pitching is still very good and will be competitive enough that, you know, they hang around and their lineup has proven itself over the last couple of years. Let's we forget they were in, you know, game seven of the league championship series before getting bounced by the eventual champions. So Atlanta to me is going to give the Mets a run. I would maybe favor the Mets with their new look club by a game or two over the Braves. If I had to pick a winner, uh, I think that the Carrasco acquisition and their rotation and the Lindor deal went completely under talked about. And I think he's going to be a game changer and lengthen in their rotation. And I expect the Grom to win the Cy Young award in the national league. I just think he keeps getting better. Uh, the Nationals, to me, are the third-best team in the East. And then I'd say there's a little bit of a cushion behind them. And maybe three to five games worse, you have the Phillies and the Marlins. And that's kind of the tiers that I have. I think the Phillies could finish a game over 500. I think the Nats could be around 84 wins. And I think those other two teams are probably vying for the top of the division. Hey, great stuff. Be well, be safe, and enjoy the season. Thank you so much. Take care. Nats, third. They got old pitching, but Josh Bell, hey, as he said, they're they're banking on a big season from your guy. When I first heard that, the first thing I thought when I when I heard him say uh he handles himself well first base, here's what I thought. <laughs> he he does not handle himself that great at first base. He can't throw, first of all. Uh he talked with the 2019 Josh Bell. Really good first half. 302 average, 27 homers, 84 RBIs. Second half, 233 average, 10 homers, 32 RBIs. He hit 226 last year. Uh, last that, that 2019 season was an anomaly for him. I, I don't think – I mean, he's not a bad player. I don't think he's as good as he was in 2019 either. I think he could maybe hit 20 home runs. His career high before 37 was 26. So maybe 25-ish. Schwarber I like more 
that he's going to strike out a lot. But I like—I mean, they're good moves for the Nats. But you know, good thing we don't have to worry about covering them because we just we were talking about Juan Soto the whole time. Coming up next, John Shea from the Chronicle, right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Shamanaya. Shamanaya has no hit the Red Sox. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24/7 destination for A's baseball. So John Shea was down uh, at A's camp, huh, Cody? Yeah, he was there for, I think, most of the week last week. Uh, He was on a lot of the Zoom calls I did with Bob and some of the players. So it would be cool to catch up with him. And he's wrote an article in the Chronicle today talking about Logan Davidson and switch hitting. And he talked to his dad, who's a former big leaguer. So uh, a lot of stuff to get into with John. He also was very impressed with the A's uh, pitching staff. So uh, a lot of good notes on the A's from John. The great San Diego State Aztec, John Shea. Our only national baseball columnist in the Bay Area. John for years, great reporter, great columnist. John Shea, Chris Townsend, how are you? Well, hi there. How are you, Chris? Man, it's been a while. I miss you. Yeah, where you been? I'm at the ballpark. How come you're not here? <laughs> I'm not allowed. <laughs> oh, you can, you can, if you want to, you can go. Believe me. You know, it was uh, last year they, they, they wanted me and my crew out to uh, just treat every game like a road game. So uh, I th- we'll, be big, we'll be back out there this year and really looking forward to it. You know, the last game that – the last official game we've been to was the wild card game between Oakland and Tampa. Hmm. What year was that? Gosh, that was a long time ago. 2019? <laughs> How crazy is that? Wow. Yeah, I remember that year. That was uh, that was a good year. That people were uh, walking around freely without uh, any masks, and uh, life life was good. But uh, hey, we'll get through this, right? Yeah, I mean, no doubt we're going to get through it. Just for you, as someone who's covered this game for a long time, just being a part of this spring training, just I, I, everything in our lives has been bizarre. But you know, for our industry and and what you're going through with spring training, how bizarre has it been for you? Well, the unfortunate thing is the lack of access and the lack of, you know, up close personal conversation and relationships that uh, generate, you know, good copy and, you know, stories that, you know, might not be told otherwise. Now, you know, we do the best we can, the teams do the best they can with the Zooms and everything, but slowly, team by team, they're starting to, allow interviews in person. In other words, maybe six or 10 feet away in the front row of the stands hours before a game, you know, and before the gates open. So slowly but surely, maybe we're returning to normalcy, but it's going to be a long time before we ever get back to where we were. But still, you know, we do the best we can. We tell the stories that readers would, fans would like to like to see, uh, you know, whether it's, you know the, the the comeback of Chapman and the comeback of Lowry, which is fascinating, and and all the other things that uh, you know the rotation news, the bullpen, the the offense, the defense. You know Melvin is really good, one of the best at communicating with the media, with the with the beat writers and the scribes and everybody who follows the team on a daily basis. So for that, we're blessed. You know, I think about uh, the piece 
that you've done with Logan Davidson and all the switch hitters I've covered, it fascinates me because people don't realize that you have to work on your right-handed swing and your left-handed swing equally. So you have double the work of a normal hitter. Now you have the advantage of being a switch hitter, but the amount of work, whether I've talked to Jed about it, Mm-hmm. Rob Grossman, Bip Roberts. It is such a grind and so tough to do. When you went into this article with Logan and his father, you know, you know, just just talk about what you learn about switch hitting, and it's really an art form. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for uh, allowing me to address that. You know, I, a few years ago, I talked to Jed Lowry about this. We talked forever about. Uh, you know, the unusual thing about Jed is that if you notice, he wears those minor league helmets with the flaps on both sides, you know, which is, you know, Hey, he's comfortable in his skin. A lot of these guys, you know, it's like shooting free throws left-handed. They don't think it's cool. They only have the flap on one side, but Jed said, I don't give a darn. I don't want to lug around two helmets, one for each side that I'm going to go up there. And so he wears the double flap helmet, you know, which, you know, you wore in little league. And, uh, (laughs) but anyway, what he said, I remember was with the shift, He's wondering whether it's even an advantage anymore. Lowry told me this years ago because he, as a left-hander, used to hit balls in the right field that would drop for base hits, and now the rover is catching them. You don't see the shifts for a right-handed batter because it's a longer throw. Your second baseman, uh, you know, the shortstop can't go out left center field and expect to throw out anybody. So uh, advantage right-handers, right? But now with the shift, he says, well, why do guys even become switch hitters? But it's a great story with Logan Davidson, their first round pick a couple of years ago, because his dad played in the major league six years with the Twins and Astros. He played on that 87 World Series championship team in Minnesota. Now, he was a BRTR. That's right. Throws right. Right. And he said, hey, I'm not going to have my kid, uh, you know, face what I face. In other words, he could only pinch hit against lefties. They wouldn't put him in there against righties. So if he turns his kid into a switch hitter, then, hey, he can bat against anybody. I mean, who knows? Who, who knew that he was going to be a first-round pick and, you know, a, a great pro prospect? But it goes back to a further generation. It wasn't just Mark Davidson, the father. It was Max Davidson, a minor leaguer for nearly a decade, uh, mostly in the New York Giants system. And and he threw right, like all of the all of the, uh, all everyone in the family does, but he batted left. So, so uh, Mark Davidson, uh, you know, his, his funny quote is, you know, we finally got it right. The generation finally, you know, we you know, figured out how, what, what to do, just, just raise a switch hitter. So we wouldn't have to go, you know, right or left, but you know, now if, Hey, if this kid makes the majors, if he can, you know, uh, you know, be productive on both sides of the ball. He could play, you know, full games. He doesn't have to platoon. Uh, you know, that's a long way away, obviously, because the kid hasn't played hardly any minor league ball because, uh, you know, there was no minor league ball last year. Well, when you think of the great ones, where you talk like Mickey Mantle or Eddie Murray or Chipper Jones, uh, San Jose State's own Ken Caminetti, who won an MVP. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm very rare to have the great success as a switch hitter and you mentioned Jed and if Jed is healthy the one thing we do know when he plays for the A's he stays healthy and he's an extra base hit machine 
What do you think that would mean to this lineup if Jed can be Jed again? Well, that, uh, it's it's a uh, it's a big ask because he's basically sat for two years uh, with different injuries, mostly the knee, and he had surgery back in October. And well, whether that is going to be the fix-all, who knows? He is up there in age, and he's not the best defender. He's capable, but what he provides in the second hole, and when he was here, you know, a lot in the third hole. Uh, last time, you know, he, his best years have been at Oakland. So like he said, I'm coming home. Uh, this is the first time I think he actually signed here. The other two times they traded for him. Uh, so he, he was here whether he liked it or not. But he enjoyed his time and he was successful and the A's know, knew how to use him. And you, know, you remember Marcus, whenever they would shift to the right, Jed never moved. It was always Marcus who moved from short all the way to right field yes. because he was the guy who had the range, right, and the arm and everything. They let Jed just be Jed. You stay there, get anything near you. But offensively is where it's going to be a difference. You know, if he can get on base, and he does, then that top of the lineup is pretty impressive. John, I got to tell you, that's one thing that's been a pet peeve of mine. So you put Marcus is basically rover in right field, and a person grounds out to him, and I have to score that 6-3. There's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I saw Florida 1 today where it was, it was a ground ball to right field and the pitcher covered because the first baseman tried for it as well. And the uh, pitcher got over there and it was four to one, but it, you know, it was, it was a 150 foot ground ball. So it's just odd what we're seeing. I mean, uh, I, I was at the giants today and I saw a pitcher start the first inning and the second inning, but he was taken out two outs into the second, uh, first inning. So, <laughs> you know, he, you can reenter. You know, like like you like you can in basketball, right? Or football, you know, yeah. everything. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, in in some softball uh, leagues, in, in girls softball, women's softball, you, you know, certain certain re-enter rules, but little league. Anyway, uh, it's just odd seeing games rolled over, innings rolled over, games ending after seven, you know, tie games. Um, it, it's like you know what? These tickets in spring training aren't any cheaper. And I commend Bob Melvin because he is one of the few managers who refuses to roll over an inning. In other words, well, my pitcher threw 25 pitches. The inning is over. No, no, no. He'll, he'll just call someone in from the bullpen. Some kid will make his day, make his spring. Let me get the third out. Okay. And what Melvin does, he doesn't roll it over because he said, hey, fans pay a lot of money and they want to see baseball end after three outs. So I got to give it to him. I'm so glad you said that, and the business of baseball uh, will bore people, so I don't go into it too much, but spring training's big business, and people down there have been saying, oh, well, we kind of like how it's going this year, you know? It's like, wait a minute. You got to have a lot of games to justify all the mo- all the ticket prices and everything. So there's some people say spring training could change forever. Okay, players may say that. They might like less. But I'm not sure Arizona and all the counties and all the money and the stadiums and everything that they've done now there, that they're going to be cool with that. No, I, I was at a game today. The attendance was 2,095, and the PA guy said, that's a COVID capacity sellout. And I said, what? COVID capacity sellout? <laughs> you know, the, the place seats ten or 12,000, but obviously it's limited. 
but I never heard, you know, I, I, I'm learning all about baseball. I never knew this stuff was happening, but, uh, you know, rolling over innings, uh, you know, the shift, the, it, it's a different world, man. But, uh, you know, you adjust and move on, but you're right. Um, these, you know, the, the community here in Arizona, they rely on spring training big time. And if you ever rent a car at the Phoenix airport, you realize just how, how much money you got to spend to rent a car at that Phoenix airport because the taxes are jacked up so that, you know, all the ballparks and the Diamondbacks main ballpark are paid for by, by tourists. So here's a, here's a little piece of advice. If you ever uh, fly into Phoenix, don't rent a car there. Just take an Uber or a cab or somewhere into Scottsdale and, and find a rental there because it'll be half the price. But uh, so that's how they do it. They jack up the taxes for the hotels. They jack up the taxes, uh, you know, for, for rental cars uh, to pay for all these ballparks. Because, you know, I mean, I, I remember a time in the late 80s, early 90s when the, uh, the Cactus League, it was they were threatening to just all move to Florida. And I mean, they were down to just a few teams. And, uh, you know, luckily um, they figured out a way to, to keep them all and sweetheart deals with all these ballparks and now it's exactly 15 in arizona 15 in florida so it's so it's nice i mean can you imagine if only only florida had spring training teams oh god i can't even that would be horrible um when you think about gaining confidence sometimes you got to be successful and fail in the end for you to finally get over the hurdle and that's where I think of the A's, two straight years, 97 wins. Last year, win the division. They projected they would have won 97 again. The confidence has really grown inside that clubhouse with the young players getting older. How do you view the A's as a World Series contender in 2021? Right. Uh, A's, Padres, World Series, right? Um, wow. I mean, that, that's possible. I mean, it's, the A's have been knocking on the door for so long. You just wonder when they're just going to bust it open and, and, and say, you know, here we are. Because Chapman and Olsen are not going to be here forever. They're not going to sign these long-term contracts. They're no closer to a ballpark where they would say, okay, those revenues are going to pay for these long-term contracts. I mean, until further notice, nobody is going to stay here beyond six years, right? So with that reality known, the time is now. I mean, the rotation is in place. I mean, I've seen these guys the last few days, and they look pretty good. I'm talking about uh, Montas and Bassett and Manaya and Luzardo. Obviously, Fires isn't going to be ready for the opener. We can bet on that because, uh, shoot, he's having cortisone shots and MRIs and you know, hip inflammation, all this stuff. So I imagine A.J. Puck, who also hasn't appeared in a game yet, but is supposed to in the next couple of few days, you know, he'll be the fifth guy, I imagine, because they have 10 straight games out of the gate. They do not have an off day where uh, they only need four starters. They will need five. So, um, you know, two times around. So, but, you know, it's going to be fun to watch and, uh, if Lowry can figure out a way to stay healthy and be able to play four five times a week, it's it's going to be a very intriguing look uh, because you know the uh, in about three days they rebuilt the bullpen right before spring training and they have the rotation and the back end of the 
uh, pen, you know, if, if Rosenthal is okay, you know, and we haven't really seen him, then, then it's money. I mean, they, 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 what, what do they lack? I mean, they can defend, they can, they can run a little bit. They, they're athletic. Um, they can pitch, uh, you know, they, they got some pop in the, in the middle of the lineup and boy, that buddy Reed guy is fun to watch every day. It's a highlight film with that guy. That catch he made yesterday up against the wall at four, 400 feet away in front of the batter's eye. That was darn impressive. And I, I talked to him after that, um, had a little 10 minute conversation and I like that guy. He's very confident and he might be coming quickly. I mean, who, who wouldn't want a guy who with, with that speed, he's got pop, he defends and the guy's six, four. I mean, he can really do it all. He's, he's fun to watch, but the thing is, is he going to be able to hit at that level? You know, at the what point was it? Richard Justice came on our program, and he told us it was right at the end of spring training before they stopped, and then before you know, then after was summer camp, where he said in Houston Astros camp they were done. They were done talking about the scandal. They didn't want to talk about it. They were miserable. And obviously the Astros caught fire, not having fans help them. Now they're going to have to deal with fans. And that's the thing I think about from the A standpoint. And the very first series is going to be in Oakland with fans. How do you think this finally affects this Astros team? You know, fans do not let it go. Fans will not let it go. Uh, Oakland fans, especially, I imagine it's going to be rough for the Astros to come in. Um, you know, we both love Dusty Baker and what he's done in his career, playing career, managing career. Uh, but that's almost a no-win situation. If he could turn that team into a winner, and he did last year, give him credit. I mean, that's a Hall of Fame manager. I think he's a Hall of Famer anyway, as is. But I, I just set out a little tweet on fires the other day, you know, who obviously, you know, the report in The Athletic, and he he he, he told his story. And from that, you know, we all know now that the Astros cheated on their way to that World Series title. But I, I wrote a little piece on, on fire, just, you know, a few, few sentences on Twitter about how, um, you know, he's got the hip and the back and he's got an MRI coming up here. And I, I had like 100 Astros fans just ripping him, saying, oh, you don't want to see the Astros. I said, give me a break. I mean, you ever have an MRI? You just don't have an MRI because you want to miss the Astros. You know, there's something wrong with you. Uh, you know, it's, it's serious stuff. And I was kind of disappointed with uh, the fan base in Houston because that's, that's a pretty low blow, um, suggesting somebody's making up an injury just so he'll, uh, you know, miss pitching against them early in the season. But, hey, you know, fans on both sides, A's and Astros, they don't forget that. The A's uh, kind of feel robbed and the Astros, you know, feel like, uh, you know, they deserve to win. But obviously, you know, we know better, right? Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, are are your Aztecs ready for uh, Syracuse? Boy, that's uh, number six versus number eleven. That's going to be fun. They won fourteen in a row. What do you think? Sweet sixteen, at least. I can't believe Syracuse is still going with the two-three zone. I know. <laughs> that's like CYO. You know, let's go to the two-three. Maybe a one-two-two box and one triangle and two. Let's get them. I just I'm like how are they still doing this. It's it's 2021. They're still running the same thing over and over again. Hey John, it's, it's always hilarious. 
it's always a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for coming on. I can't wait to see you. Yeah, anytime. Uh, first time since 19. Let's do it. Take care, buddy. See you, Chris. John Shea from the San Francisco Chronicle. He's uh, he's our national baseball writer, and he's been doing it a long time. Ken Korak calls him the Columbo of writers. Because if you ever watch the, do you ever watch the show Cody Columbo? Sounds like it's a little bit before my time. A little bit before your time, but he, he was a great detective, and there'd be all this stuff going on. And at the very end, Columbo would go, you know, one more thing to the police or to whoever. And it would always be the main story. John Shea's been doing that for years. Whenever he's like, all right, is it time to wrap up the press conference? You know, one more thing. And the questions are always dynamite. And they get great info. The, that show was on from 1971 to till 2003. What is this? Oh, Columbo was a huge hit. What is this, General Hospital? I didn't realize it was one on for so long. Ken Korak calls him the Columbo of Bay Area journalism because he comes with these questions, and they're the way he does it, he doesn't offend you, but he's asking you point blank, and it's the way he does the question. you got to answer. See, there's certain ways to interview people. Especially certain ways if you're always going to be asking tough questions. People don't like tough questions. Like, I could be asking Cody tough questions all the time. Why have you failed at this? Why have you failed at that? But then people would think I'm mean. Why always talk about my failures? Talk about my successes. (laughs) That's what everybody wants. Actually, Actually, you know, Funny you mentioned, I actually don't mind talking about my failures. I'm I'm very clearly, I'm clearly, very, it's kind of it's kind of uncomfortable at times. Yeah, I don't mind talking about it because that, that's how you grow as a person. You can't accept knowing that you're only you, the, the, the successes you have in life. You have to you have to take the failures as well, and that's something that I've learned a lot about the last couple of years because I never wanted to talk about my failures. I always want to talk about how great of you know how great of a job I was doing or how great I did at this or how great of a spouse I I guess I was, and then we found out that wasn't true. I guess, oh. but. We, but it's just you, you grow from those things, and that's why like I, I've looked forward to so much more in life, but not just job related, just everything. And you have to be able to talk about those things. If not, then who are you as a person? You can't grow as an individual if you can't talk about things you haven't succeeded in. And I'm not saying that I'm the most perfect person in the world because I'm far from it, but the, being, being able to admit your wrongs and know you can grow from it is, is huge. And I respect uh, journalists like John who like to ask questions like that and – they they want to know the 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 darkest not the darker side but like the more in depth side of stuff not just hey you know you went up there at three three for four do you think you can keep it going for the next couple of games like I want I want like the hard, hey man you're like in an O for twenty slump you pretty much stink right now what do you do to get out of it like that's the stuff I want like I want the you got to take the good and the bad not just the good all the time that's true you want you you want bad you want stinker my golf game today on my birthday. That was bad. How about that you? Was you, you, you want to know what else, you know what was good today though? The Raiders made some made some moves in free agency, but I mean, no one's catching the Patriots apparently right now. Bill Belichick's spending money everywhere. <laughs> you know, we say it. I like when other people back it up. The confidence of this ball club going into twenty twenty one. 
there's a lot of confidence. You need that. You have to believe. Maybe that's a problem with my golf game. I don't believe. These guys believe they can win. Not just win, win it all. And I have a feeling our division is going to crumble around us. I don't know. I'm not making the big, bold prediction yet. I just said I have a feeling that we're going to see everybody around us not be very good. Kind of like last year with the Atlanta Braves where, let's face it, the COVID Marlins got hot a little bit, but the Braves dominated that. Everybody around them won very good. They're all under 500 until the Marlins got a little bit hot and somehow got in the postseason. I got a feeling it's going to be like that. I mean, you hope. You hope so. We've got to save the topic for Wednesday about the belief that you have to sign this free agent. Yeah, let me let me note that down because we've only gone into that a little bit. We I mean, we brought up the the Robbie Cano one, but there's so many other ones you could talk about. Winning it, it, the perfect example of that is what's happening to the NFL. Winning the off season. AJ Preller could tell you better than anyone. He won the offseason in 2016, and what happened? He traded all those guys away at the uh, trade deadline six months later, essentially. Okay, I'll give you another one. You want to go old school? I guess this is not really old school, but for some it may be. When the Dodgers stole Daryl Strawberry from the Mets. Strawberry's coming home. Oh, it's such a big strawberry, the Dodgers. How'd that work out? Now, there's a lot of free agent signings for a lot of money. We're not talking about that. We're talking about an organization saying, by signing this guy, it all changes. All of a sudden, everybody throws strikes. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's a good pitcher. Now, everybody around him's a better player. Well, I wasn't here at the time, but you were around it. Uh, did that change at all? Was that 09 when the A's acquired Matt Holliday? Is that the thought was? Well, we got one of the best players in the National League. Here we come, and well, he was gone. We gave up cargo, <laughs> and he was gone. What eight, six months later, essentially again, and you flipped him for prospects, which is great. But that's could be a move you can look at. Where like, hey, a lot of people thought, hey, this is a move that's going to help them, you know, push for the division. That's and- a different kind of move. The move that we're talking about is you overpay for a guy and he changes your franchise because you overpaid for him because if you didn't overpay for him, he wouldn't go there. Angels did that with two guys the same year, C.J. Wilson and Albert Pujols. (laughs) And then Josh Hamilton was a few years later. It's another guy. Uh, How many playoff games have they won? Uh, That'd be – hold on, i got to check the math. Mike Trout's been in the playoff once, and uh, they haven't won a game yet. So, Okay. Anthony Castrovitz from MLB.com will join us next right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Been a fun birthday show, Cody. Well, I'm glad you're having fun. Because uh, that's the whole point of this. You can't, you can't do this job and not have fun and expect it to be great every day. He's the author of a fan's guide to baseball analytics. Get it? It's a good book. 
Anthony Kastrovitz, MLB writer for MLB.com. Join me earlier today right here on A's Cast Live. Anthony, thank you so much for taking the time to come on A's Cast Live. How you been? I've been well. Uh, I've seen a little bit of the A's here uh, in, in the Cactus League in recent weeks, all, all remotely, unfortunately, not actually in Arizona, but it's amazing how much coverage you can do from your couch in Cleveland these days. It's a whole different world. Yes, uh, it is pretty bizarre, but you know you do get a lot out of these out of these Zoom calls. I mean, it's just a reality. And and, and the the one thing that we have noticed with us with the players, and and you can tell me how you feel. It's like when they're able to see you through the computer, and they can see who's talking to them. They've actually been getting, they, you know, for us, been giving us better answers than when we have them just by the phone. Uh, yeah, there is something to be said for that, uh, you know, facial recognition, I guess. Um, a little, you know, it's a step closer towards actual human contact. We'll get there. I, I'm hopeful before long and perhaps before the end of the season, we'll have, you know, some sense of normalcy in a lot of ways. Uh, and, and this being one small part of that. But, um, you know, I've, I don't know. There, there's good and bad that, that comes with the Zooms. Uh, I, I'm personally ready to uh, get back to uh, the human touch, as it were. But, but you're right. It's certainly better than a phone call. So when you're getting to know the, the A's a little bit more, covering for Martin Gallegos, what, what have you learned about the 2021 A's? Honestly, my biggest takeaway is because it's just, you know, a few games in spring training was just the uh, – I was really intrigued with the way they've approached spring training. Um, and I don't know what this will mean for the actual regular season, but, yeah, you know, I think one of the A's underrated strengths from a national perspective is – this rotation as it starts to take shape as, as guys start to, you know, perhaps ascend towards their ceilings. And there's some guys in that group with some high ceilings um, and the way they just kind of eased into the, the actual spring training schedule and, and held those guys on the backfield uh, for the first couple of weeks of Cactus league games was really fascinating because uh, I don't know if you saw where Chris Bassett was talking about it last week. And uh, he thinks he's going to change spring training forever with <laughs> the way the A's have approached it. Uh, every team has obviously uh, had uh, less activity, uh, had players on their feet less this year. They're just at the facility, uh, you know, uh, a smaller amount of time than they would have been in normal circumstances. And he's seen the benefits of that. And he's seen the benefits of uh, pitching on the backfield to, you know, Matt Chapman and Matt Olson, as opposed to pitching to opponents, uh, not showing opponents his stuff, uh, you know, not showing scouts his stuff. And, uh, and, and getting to work on some things and get some good feedback from, from his teammates who are also in turn getting at bats that they wouldn't have gotten uh, on their days off in, in Cactus League play. So I, I, that was my biggest takeaway was just how they've approached it. It's a little, little different than some other clubs and who knows, it could have benefits for them in season. I thought it was fascinating too. And we talked about it a lot here on A's cast live. And, you know, one thing that I, I also took away from, what, what Bassett had to say was being on your feet all day long. Cause I know yeah. when we're down at spring training, we get there so early and you know, they, they do all the stuff that they're going to do before the game or in the practices. And you just seem to be there all day. And I kind of like listening to Chris Bassett, I went, yeah, like at the end of each day of spring training, <laughs> I haven't thrown a ball. I haven't run. I haven't taken BP and I'm exhausted. There's so much about spring training that, 
it, it runs it entirely counter to the regular season itself. The schedule is, you know, completely topsy turvy with so many day games and uh um and there's just a lot of what we in baseball call eyewash, you know, doing things for the sake of doing things, doing things because it looks like you're trying, it looks like you're preparing. And uh in reality you're just, you know, kinda killing time. Um and I'm I'm not saying that the entirety of it is the case. I mean pitchers fielding practice has its purpose. Uh bunt drills have their purpose. All these things do have their purpose ultimately, but um there is a lot of uh you know superfluous activity uh to, to put it that way and um and I, I think you know players are are enjoying this more expedited efficient process and as he said it's just kind of le- less aches and pains the next day coming to work because you haven't been on your feet all day um you know participating in said eyewash you know when chris bassett talked about how the hitters can help the pitchers and the pitchers can help the hitters you know, it's always nice to face somebody else because you, obviously you get tired. It doesn't matter what sport you're talking about. You get tired against playing against your own guys. But if you're smart about it, like if you go right. up there and you give up a home run uh, to somebody who's playing for the Milwaukee Brewers, when he's rounding the bases, you can't say, hey, how did I screw up there? <laughs> That's one thing Bassett said was like, you know, if if I make a good pitch, or if I don't make a good pitch, I can talk to them. What did you guys see? And I, I, I thought that, you know, com- communication can be so strong for a team. And I think I and I think we both have noticed the A's, of course, have that. Yeah, they do. Absolutely. And, you know, that's something I've noticed in, in my time covering baseball is, um, you know, it, it's, it's different by team. It's kind of different by era, too, in terms of how much guys legitimately talk baseball you know, talk about what they've seen out there on the field that day or will see the next day. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not I'm not one of those people who uh, believes everything was better, you know, 30 years ago and you know, that, that kind of men- mindset. But I do believe that there was more of that um, 30 years ago um, in, in terms of guys legitimately, you know, studying the game and, and helping each other get better. Um, but you see that in the case of the A's, as you mentioned, you're seeing that this spring and, and it's something that could carry forward in the regular season as well. And it can be valuable when it's good feedback, when it's, um, con- I guess, constructive feedback, you know, really intelligent feedback that can absolutely take a teammate to another level. And there, there's certain guys uh, in this game who are better than that at others in terms of, you know, really giving that constructive feedback. And um, obviously there's a lot of analytics today. There's a lot of video scrutiny, et cetera. There, there's a lot of ways, that a, a player can get better. But I, I do believe in that, uh, you know, that that is the role of being a good teammate is, uh, is, is you know, observing and uh, and communicating, as you said. Did you get the sense that the same thing we've been getting, the, the, the confidence that this team has after winning 97 games, two straight years, winning the division last year, that, that there's just there, there's some real confidence and belief in this group for 2021? Well, there should be, uh, you know, they, they have a history of, of getting the most out of their roster, whatever that roster happens to be. Now there's no doubt, you know, the roster looks a little different, uh, this year, than last year, and, you know, losing Simeon in particular, uh, and, and losing Hendricks in particular, you know, those are, those are big changes. Those are not to be dismissed. And I'm sure from a national perspective, it leads a lot of people to maybe not dismiss the A's, but perhaps discount the A's, you know, take them down a peg and, and not make them the favorites perhaps to repeat uh, as the division champs. But, but there is something to be said for what they've, what they've grown there. And, and just that the ability to consistently, you know, 
come up with the right amount of talent, you know, to be competitive. And the division is, I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen in the AL West this season. There's, there's questions for every club, the A's included, and there's no runaway favorite in my mind. And uh, so I, I think the A's chances are as good as anybody, because again, I, I think when you have a good young rotation, which they project to have on paper, um, and you're getting Matt Chapman back and he's looked really good uh, this spring. You know, he, he looks like his old self uh, prior to the hip issue. That's, you know, that's a, that's kind of a big addition right there. Just getting a guy back that you didn't have the last month of the season. And, and again, perhaps some untapped upside potential within that rotation. So today on the way to the golf course, I'm listening to Sirius XM, the MLB channel, and they're, they're previewing the AOS and they're previewing the Mariners and they're trying to give the Mariners hope. And I'm like, okay, all right. You got to do what you got to do. But then I'm not going to tell you which ex-big leaguer, but he's like, you know what you need to do? You you, you need to bring in a, a, a high-price free agent. You need to overpay. And when you overpay, other people in baseball will look around and they'll say, you know what, this is a place I want to play. Because, you know, some places need to entice players to come in for money because they're not the Yankees or the Red Sox, the Dodgers, whatever. And I'm listening to this going, what the hell is this guy talking about? We never do that. The Rays never do that. We've been in the playoffs six out of eight years. I, there, I guess there is that belief out there, but I don't buy it. How do you feel about that? I mean, that can be true if, if that is your goal for construction is to, you know, sometimes they're just finishing pieces or, or sometimes teams legitimately try to change their whole trajectory through free agency. I think the Phillies are an example of that in recent years. You know, they've splurged. You know, they, they splurged for a Bryce Harper and a JT Real Muto and a Zach Wheeler. Um, and sometimes there is a domino effect there and you kind of change the culture or what have you. But um, but I think for the most part, you're right, where you've got to have that internal, you know, fortitude you have to you have to be strong uh internally and then just have those supplemental pieces you know you can't you can't do it all in free agency and you can't even do 25 percent of it in free agency realistically you you got to have a strong core um i was beating the drum for the mariners to be more active than they were this offseason i think this could have been a really interesting juncture to kind of ex- try to accelerate their timetable with so many free agents out there i'm not saying you know make major splashes like sign trevor bauer for instance i wouldn't say that but um, but you know, some, some guys in the second tier and, and just kind of stock up because who knows what a team's competitive timetable is with the way young talent influences the game today. And the Mariners have a lot of good young talent that's about to graduate to the big league. So I, I think they're a really interesting team. I think they're going to be really good in the not too distant future. I don't think 2021, uh, as much as I did beat the drum, uh, for that to happen this off season, uh, I don't think it's you know likely to happen. I, I think they'll probably take their lumps again this year, but um, but it is a, the arrow is pointed upward there. That's for sure. You know, and a lot of talk about six man rotations for this season, because we don't know what the mm-hmm. effect of only six games is going to be uh, on pitchers. I assume 60 games from last season is going to have the effect on pitchers this year, but I think it's Shohei Otani. And he had a couple home runs today down in Arizona. And I'm thinking to myself, if he's only pitching once every six games, I, I think his value is far more as a hitter, as a position player, or if he's going to DH, than if he's just going to go out there one every six days. How do you feel the way they should use him this season? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, you try the two-way experiment until it's just proven to not work. I mean, to date it has not worked, and that's because of injury. And you go back the last four years, that, that counts 
his final year in Japan, he's thrown like 75 innings. You know, that's it. So, you know, I, there's a lot of enthusiasm around Otani right now. And he's one of the most purely fun players in MLB because he's, so, he's such a freak of nature. You know, what, what he can do is just so such a unique skill set. But, you know, I'll believe it when I see it in terms of it being, you know, a real thing that can last for 162. Because um, you're right. I mean, he's, he is limited. This is prior to anybody talking about a six-man rotation elsewhere in MLB um, and, and the post-COVID year and all that. Uh, he he was always on that, you know, once-a-week schedule. Uh, that's what he was accustomed to in Japan, and, and that's the way they drew it up for him uh, in Anaheim. And that, that affects everyone else in the rotation. And then, you know, you, you got to be careful with just overdoing it with him because there's a lot of fatigue in this game for any player just in one role, let alone two. I and mean, the mental preparation it takes to be a legitimate starting pitcher in Major League Baseball, the physical preparation it takes. And then on, on top of that, you know, the mental and physical preparation to be a great hitter. So I just think you're asking a lot of him. And he's in great shape, and he came in looking stronger than ever, and he's had an incredible spring. But, you know, wake me up in six months. We'll see if he did it then. I really hope he does, but it's going to be asking a lot of him physically and mentally. Yeah, there was that dream, and I've talked to Mark Gubaza of the Angels saying, hey, to someday be able to watch this guy pitch and hit in the All-Star game, it would have been incredible. I, I Maybe it could still happen, <laughs> but, well, I mean, that would be incredible. It would. It would. Yeah, he's, he's, you know, and, and there's other clubs, obviously, experimenting with other players in the two-way mindset, maybe not to that level, but um, it, it's fun, man. It's fun to dream on, and he's, you know, he's, he's done it in the past in Japan, and for a couple months there in, in 2018, he was doing it here and it was, it was really fun to watch, but you know, of course the elbow, you know, the elbow ligament snapped and, and here we are, you know, a few years later and still, uh, still dreaming it up. And again, I, I really hope it happens. I just think that they have to be really careful with, uh, you know, trying not to fatigue him. And to answer your question earlier, I mean, all things considered, I think he'll be a legitimate big league hitter. Um, you know, the, the pitching side, I, just with the health issues he's had, I, I would lean towards, you know, hitting being his ultimate destination. But, um, but again, this year they're going to, you know, try the two way thing to the best of their ability. Yeah. I, I'd like to talk to the scouts who went to Japan and who said, yeah, we don't think you'll be able to hit at this level. Uh-huh. <laughs> I would like to talk. Yeah. Let, let's end on this. Cause I know, and, and this is, uh, you know, you put it out on Twitter on March 11th, but just your opinion, larger bases, let's limit the shifts, limit pickoffs, Robot umps. What are your thoughts on this experimental rule changes? I mean, honestly, I know uh, some see this as an affront to the sport and all that, but sign me up for pretty much all of those <laughs> at the big league level. I, I definitely want to see how this experiment goes at the minor league level, but I think there's sound rationale behind everything they're doing in the minor league level this year. Um, the bigger bases, that's just a very subtle thing. And only have a marginal impact on you know stolen bases and, and ground balls getting beaten out, but I think it you know it's it's a health thing first and foremost in terms of uh, just having more room to operate around the bases as players slide in. Um, so that's you know that's a plus. Uh, the defensive positioning thing they they stop short of limiting shifts to where you know the shortstop can go right of second base and and that sort of thing. Um, but they're just keeping infielders in the infield. But that's the one where I really want to see how that looks. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, it, it makes sense just given what we've seen uh, in, in terms of the declining batting average on balls in play around the league. We see a lot of scorching, you know, ground balls to right-hand side and 
in years past, they would have gotten past the second baseman, and now it's caught in right field and thrown out at first. So, um, so there's value to that. There's value to limiting pickoffs. I, like so many others, I'd love to see more action on the base pass. Um, and, you know, automatic strike zone, that's long made sense. Uh, it, it's harder than ever to do that job behind the plate with so much movement on pitches these days. So, uh, and the pitch clock is, that's number one on my list, uh, you know, number one priority for me in terms of just keeping a, a better pace of game. Hey, we always love having you on the program. Continued success with MLB and also with the book, and let's talk soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's a great book. If you don't know much about analytics, you should get the book because it simplifies it, and I think that's key. Would you agree? Yeah, someone that read the book, too, uh, and I have it. It's on my bookshelf behind me. Can't wait to get that new bookshelf in the new apartment where you can actually see the books I have instead of the you know just the screen or the uh, door to the balcony in the background. Uh, he talks about in there why wins don't matter. Uh, so that, oh. was, that was a big thing for me. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Do losses matter? No. Do we talk about that's you know the Would funny? Would you rather win or lose? Hmm. Well, obviously win, but I don't think you can evaluate a pitcher off either of them. So losses don't matter. If if a pitcher again, it brings me up to the whole thing. If if you go six innings or seven innings, you allow one run, and your team loses one nothing, you take the loss. Are you a terrible pitcher? Absolutely not. Your team just can't score any runs. And I'm not going to use the Grom because we've seen it happen more than to, than to just take up the Grom. How do you get to the playoffs? Uh, you win games. A good bullpen. How do you runs. get to the playoffs? Uh, you have to win your division. And how do you win your division? Winning baseball games. Scoring runs. How do you win your division? Winning games. Okay. Just want to – just checking. <laughs> We can, we can. One of these days, we're going to do like a full show on just you and I going back and forth on this. No, I mean, in the end, there's only two things that matter: wins and losses. All the other data doesn't matter if you don't win. You know what? You know what I found that people get really offended by in the NFL is when people talk about quarterback wins. They're like, "Oh, quarterback wins don't matter." Now, to some great degree, I I understand where they're coming from. When it comes, when you're talking about Tom Brady or recently retired Drew Brees, so that happened over the weekend. Uh, these guys want a lot of games. But if you're a quarterback like Mitchell Trubisky that has a bunch of wins, but only because your defense won games for you, there, there's where I see the argument against it. But in baseball, it's a completely different thing. It's been going on forever, and you're always going to have the people fighting against Why does Tom you. Brady, why does Drew Brees, why does Joe Montana, why do all these guys got all these wins? Why does Greg Maddox have all these wins and Roger Clemens and all these guys? There's got to be something to it. Just, you can't say. There's got to be something to it. They're just born different, man. They're bred different. They're bred different than the Mitchell Trubisky's and the and the uh, uh, who's a baseball outlier. Um, but Degrom's going to be. He he is a fascinating case. I got. Do you realize these 300 game winners in baseball? How many different teammates they had? How many different combination of lineups were around them? Good, bad, yeah. and different. I mean, seriously. Look at Maddox. On. I mean, look at Maddox. He played for a division winner for how many years in a row? 14? Almost 14. He wasn't with them all the whole time. But. They were still winning 15 games for the Dodgers. Yeah. and they, yeah, It's just crazy that we're, we're probably never going to see another 300-game winner again. Whoa, whoa. Well, yeah, once Verlander went down, probably. Yeah, I mean, the next closest is, I think, is Zach Greinke. And Kershaw's like 130 away. and Kershaw's not he, sniffing. He, yeah, he ain't winning uh, 130 games. He could, he could, realistically, but to do that – 
you'd have to win. You'd have to win if you win twenty games five years in a row. That's still only hundred wins. You're still thirty away, so you'd have to do it for about six and a half seasons. And he's already thirty-two. Where do you want to go here? Oh, we can do buy or sell. I got, I got a couple good ones for you. It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. All right, first one, since you mentioned birthday edition, buying or selling 49 is a new 48. <laughs> My kids, act, act, they act. Do you feel different? I'm like, no. Oh. Next year's my, the big my one. Last, my last year in the 40s. Wow. I'm uh, on the back nine, man. I'm uh, on the back nine. I got to admit it. As someone that has a dad that just turned 60 a month, not even a month ago, uh, the big one for you ne- is next year. I, I, I made 60 big deal for my dad, and I don't think he really cared. I said, what did you do for your birthday today? He goes, honestly, I, I put in, I put a new hot water tank, and I put a new toilet seat down. That's what I did for my birthday. I'm like, all right, well, at least you did something. Hey, he's handy. Yeah, well, uh, not, he used to be. I mean, he's getting older now. Although he got his, he got bionic knees, he got his knees replaced like last year, so he can move a lot better. Maybe he'll he'll be very agile at the wedding. Uh, we'll say that. So, so you, when you see him on the dance floor, it's gonna blow your mind. All right, so well, I mentioned this to you when we were talking to John Shane, and you told me, you know, very very aggressively you didn't care, but I'm gonna bring it up anyway. We saw some players get reassigned to the minors today. Grant Holmes and James Caprellian were two with the A's, among others. The Giants also sent 15 players to the minors. One of them is your guy, Joey Bart. Joey Bart made his debut in 2020 with the Giants after Buster Posey opted to not play for good reasons, as we understand. Bart in 103 at-bats hit 220 or hit 233 with no homers and seven RBIs. He was the second pick in the 2018 like Yeah. <laughs> The Giants might carry Buster Posey and Kurt Casale to start the season as their catcher and backup catcher. Buying or selling, Joey Bart will not play for the Giants in 2021. Will not play for them. I'm selling that. Ooh, Farhan says he needs more minor league time. And as my good friend Rick Barry would say, I could not care less. <laughs> yeah, well, they're not going anywhere this year, but... To, to have Barton Minus for an entire season. Joey Bart will will be in the big leagues this year. Are you kidding me? I, I don't know. Hey, I mean, this, hey, hey, if he's not, then who really is he? Yeah, you got to start worrying about is he got is he their catcher? Because remember they drafted a catcher in the first round last year, and uh, wait for it, they're projected to take a, another catcher this year. Is what I saw in the mock draft as we talked about. Remember them taking a catcher in the A's, taking a shortstop because that's what the A's do every year. Is they take a shortstop. It seems like because of the versatility, but. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I don't think I don't I don't know if Bart will play, but you know what? As you said, who cares? All right. So we know 2020 was going to be different. Now, 162 games is a good start for us and the fans, and that also means one other thing: pitchers. We're going to see a lot more pitchers. Now, here's I'll give you a couple of stats. Going back to 2011, the reliever usage in baseball was around 33 percent. In 2020, it was 45. So last season, 735 pitchers saw action in a big league game, big league game according to Baseball Reference. That was tied in with 60 games. Yeah, in 60 <laughs> games, that was tied with 2015 for fifth most in history. That number of pitchers grew from 799 in 2018 to 831 in 2019. The number this year could reach 900 pitchers seen this year. If you do the math, that's around 30 per team. 
Just 64% of the 698 pitchers who made at least one relief appearance in 2019 appeared in the majors in any capacity last season. So buying or selling, we will see over 900 pitchers used in 2021. I don't even know. I don't even know. I can't, I can't even wrap my head around that. You have to read that article. It's it's fascinating. 25 teams, 900 pitchers. I'm just going to, I'm going to buy. I'm with you. I think, I mean. I'm going to buy because everybody's kind of panicked about last season and the workloads were real less and I'm just going to buy. I, I think, I, I think, I think taking the over there is the strong play. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. I'm, I'm pulling up real quick because I didn't get a chance to look at this, but oh, how many guys actually pitched for them? But the Astros had 10 guys make their major league debut last year. The Astros alone used 26 different pitchers last year. So, I mean, there, there's an answer right there for you. And that was only in 60 games. They used 26 people. So that number is going to go up, I think, this year for sure. Now, Nathan Avoldi has always been a guy who could throw hard. He now he's slated the number two starter for the Red Sox at age 31. He went four innings, allowing four runs on seven hits on Sunday, and he hit 100 miles an hour 10 times against the Twins, so 10 times in 64 pitches. For perspective, he has hit triple digits at least 10 times in just four of his 194 career appearances, including the postseason and regular season combined. Now, he pitched in six games in 2018 for the Red Sox. That was two starts. And the 2018 playoffs, sorry. And he went 2-1 with a 161 ERA. But he's never been a guy you look up in a dictionary and see durable next to, his, next to the definition in a dictionary. In nine big league seasons, he's made 30 starts just once. And he's a multiple Tommy John guy, but the Red Sox are counting on him a lot this season. Buying or selling, Nathan Avoldi will stay healthy all season. Selling. That's right. a no-brainer. I mean, I like the guy. He has a great arm, but, yeah, I don't. Double Tommy John guy. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing a lot more of those guys anymore. So it's going to be interesting, especially with him, because the Red Sox are counting on him, and he's going to be their projected to be their number two starter. Uh, good luck to him. It'll be nice to see Eduardo Rodriguez back, though, for the for the Red Sox. We're going to end on this. Oh, the wine you gave me for my birthday is leading off dinner tonight. Buying or selling, it will be loved. Buying, and it, we can't end the show on that. We're going to end the show on this. I'm not singing. Thank you all, Ace fans. You know I love you, and everybody who's reached out touches me and means a lot. Thank you so much. Cody, great job once again. And we'll see you all on Wednesday right here on A's Cast Live. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.